Now, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Hey there, thanks for tuning in. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Our show is brought to you in part by Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Services, Modern Mortgage Group, Lori Zorn, insurance manager for Island Savings, and Carrie Smith, home inspector with Inspectech. If you need an opinion from experts in insurance, mortgages, or building inspection, Denise, Lori, and Carrie are the people to talk with. To find more information about them, visit us, this show, The Whole Home Show with me, Tony Joe, on the CFAX 1070 website. Uh, all their information is there, or you can always find me. I'd be happy to connect you with them. Uh, as most of our regular listeners know, my background here is 27 years as a local realtor here in Greater Victoria. I was born and raised here in town. had the privilege of being the president of the Real Estate Board back in 2008. I've also been an instructor for our provincial association for about seven years now. I teach all the new licensees that come onto the island under the uh, areas of ethics, agency, negotiation, and marketing. So if you are looking for an opinion on your real estate purchase or sale, I'd be happy to chat with you. Just again, look up the whole home show with me, Tony Joe, on the CFAX website. I'd be happy to chat with you. Every month, it's getting harder and harder for people to enter the housing market here in Greater Victoria, whether it be in a rental or as a purchase. With the average house price in Victoria being now over $900,000, and very little available for condos below even $350,000, how can anyone afford to live here? With little available land and the escalating cost of materials, labor, and development costs, what does the future hold in housing for our little town? This week, our guests will be talking on this subject. We have Luke Murray from the Purdy Group and Arise, and also Eric Swanson, Executive Director from Generation Squeeze. But we're going to start our show today not with our usual listener question. We have on the line with us our show sponsor, Carrie Smith. Carrie is an inspector with Inspectech. Carrie, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Tony. Happy to be here. Yeah, so Carrie, what's going on out there? And specifically, we were going to talk about rules for basement suites and things like that. Yeah, it, um, it, it ties in nicely with the, uh, you know, the high cost of housing here in Victoria where people have never looked more for something like a mortgage helper. It's a, it's a cliche, it's so common, and that means extra accommodation inside the house for possible rental income to help them with their mortgages. Mm-hmm. Sometimes uh, a lot of people, uh, families, are doing home stay with students, and uh, that can really generate some cash. I understand it's somewhere between $800 and $1,000 per bedroom to have a home stay student, which is can, you know at mortgage time at the end of the month can be very helpful. Mm-hmm. And then also the traditional model of having a, an additional suite either over the garage or in the basement or, or that kind of thing. Yeah, so we're, we're talking about actually having a, a part of your house and, and renting it out uh, for some uh, extra cash flow. It helps people actually be able to afford their home, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a great idea. It works well and, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes suites are actually legally designated by the municipality, and but more commonly they're non uh, compliant or, or what's, uh, whatever the term is. Um, yeah, non-conforming. Non-conforming, that's the one, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, more, I'm, I, I don't know what the percentages are, are, but I assume that more than half of suites in Victoria are non-conforming. And the, um, it's pretty much tolerated by the municipal authorities because they know that if they sent out a, you know, a Gestapo crew of, of inspectors looking for, for illegal suites, and then enforce the, the bylaws um, rigidly, half the city would be living on the street tomorrow. So it's just not, it's just not practicable. 
Um, but it does come up where there's complaints. Uh, usually complaints, your listeners might be like, might like to know, arise from parking or garbage. Uh-huh. Where the streets are plugged up with parking and extra cars. And, of course, the garbage cans are overflowing, which attracts pests and other kind of problems. Yeah. Those are the two most common complaints that uh, people who have suites that are non-conforming uh, will, uh, will, will trigger problems. Yeah, so, and, and what you're talking about is these are neighbor complaints. It's, it's when the neighbors aren't happy about yeah. the abundance of cars and, and garbage and things like that, right? Yeah, th- yeah, those are, yeah, that's correct. Those are the two most common ones. I, I guess noise would figure in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, on most streets in Victoria... Every second house will have uh, an illegal suite, and people in glass houses are well advised not to throw stones. <laughs> for sure. Well, so, listen, um, for, from, in the context of you as a building inspector, when you're going in and having a look at a house, and again, yeah. we all know this is this is not some secret. I mean, most of the suites that are out there are what is known as non-conforming here. When you're yeah. going in to help somebody buy a home and you're looking at it from uh, your standpoint as a building inspector, um, what are things you can or cannot advise on? Uh, well, uh, I wasn't expecting that question <laughs> with, with regard to the subject matter uh, yeah. of illegal suites. Yeah. Well, I can give advice, you know, um, from my knowledge base. I'm, I have a pretty good understanding of the municipal rules and bylaws to re- around basement suites. Yeah. It doesn't help and, that we have uh, like we have 13 sets of rules, so it's it's very difficult for anyone to know all of them, right? That's correct, yeah. and uh, we try, but that's correct, and and they change all the time too. Yeah. And that also plays into building inspections in general, where there's a plumbing code, there's an electrical code, there's a national building code, and these codes are revised every three to five years. Mm-hmm. And the house we're looking at was built in 1971, so now which which code applies in 1971? So it's impossible to have encyclopedic knowledge, but there are some basic guidelines that are that are common and. And uh, so with the suite, the most common misconception is that it's the second stove that renders a suite illegal. Okay. And remarkably, that is absolutely not true. All right. You, you can have a second, a third, a fourth cooking stove in the house, yeah. additional kitchens, totally legal, as long as the residence is occupied by one family only. Yes. Um, it's not the second stove is not necessarily illegal. If there's someone of a different family name living in the house, it's totally different. You, you, it's, and it's not just the stove. Yeah. You're not allowed to have any type of food preparation equipment. Yeah, that is separate from the main part of the house. That's correct. So yeah. if you have uh, boarders or homestay students, they can't have a toaster. Mm-hmm. They can't have a microwave oven or a uh, cooktop convection oven, absolutely zero preparation equi- food preparation equipment. Yeah. They can have a small little fridge, and they can have a sink, um, and possibly even a dishwasher, but food preparation equipment. So it doesn't have to be a stove to make it illegal. Any food preparation equipment is not. Interesting. Well, uh, you know, for the listeners who may not be aware of Homestay, Homestay is a program where you have uh, students, international students, live with you in the home. And the intention is that the student would end up uh, spending time and learning the, the local culture by having meals with the host family anyways, right? That's, 
that's absolutely correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And getting back to your to your conversation about having uh, other stoves in the house, this is also a cultural thing as well, too. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. we've, we've seen things. You know, the 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 old summer kitchen. Uh, you know, exactly. another part of the house where you cook, or um, you know, for for us with the Asian cooking, sometimes you, you know, um, uh, you separate a part of the house where um, you know some heavy cooking doesn't uh, doesn't overwhelm the rest of the home, right? That, that's correct, and uh, the Portuguese community is also known for this as well. Yeah. They will often have a summer kitchen um, just to do with their, their cultural food preparation practices. So um, no second, second stove is permitted if it's, the building is occupied by one, only one family. Yeah. Uh, another interesting guideline, and it's just, it's just good for people to know the rules before they uh, venture into this territory of mortgage helpers, is the, the secondary accommodation is not allowed to have a lock on the door. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It can, it can be separate. There can be a door. Yeah. Absolutely no lock. Uh-huh. So your homestay students can't have a lock on their private bedroom door. Yeah. Okay. And, of course, the suite, um, if it's occupied by uh, a non-family named person and um, has no cooking equipment, it becomes illegal if there's a lock on the door that separates it from the rest of the house. Yeah. Okay. So, so you're talking about things that are written within the the, the rules of the law. But as you as you mentioned when we started out here, uh, the yeah. reality is the majority of uh, suites that are out there are what is known as as non-compliant or or mm-hmm. that's correct. Oh yeah. Or or unauthorized, right? Yeah, unauthorized is a good word. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if, if the, it's helpful to know, I think for your listeners that if a complaint does arise, yeah. that just taking the stove out. May it's not be enough. To, it's, it's not enough. The yeah. bylaw enforcement officer, when he investigates, and he'll give you notice. You'll get a, a letter from the municipality, yeah. be it a Squamalt, Saanich, Obey, uh, saying there's been a complaint or uh, brought to their attention, and they'll be coming to visit the property in 72 hours or some date at some time. So you've got three or four days' notice. And if you want to make preparations... <laughs> get it corrected. Well, yeah, taking the stove out won't do it. Great. Um, Carrie, listen, uh, for all the listeners, anyone who needs to reach you to have more chat on this conversation, how can they do that? Absolutely. Our local uh, number is 250-920-8324. Yep. Or on the web at, of course, inspectech.org. Great. Carrie, thanks for joining us. Carrie, of course, is a sponsor to our show here. He's with Inspectech. Thanks for joining us. We're going to take a quick break here. We'll be coming back to talk about housing affordability here in Greater Victoria. You're listening to The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Hi there, thanks for joining us. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. We're talking today about Greater Victoria and how real estate prices have made it very difficult for people to enter the market, both as a renter and as an owner. We're going to have a great discussion about this today. In the studio with me right now is the Executive Director from Generation Squeeze here in Victoria, Eric Swanson. Eric, thanks for coming. It's a pleasure. Uh, Eric, tell the listeners about Generation Squeeze. What is the organization all about? Generation Squeeze is a research and advocacy organization for young Canadians, so 20s, 30s, and 40s, who are feeling this squeeze from high housing costs, um, childcare costs, and family costs that continue to be high, uh, the changing nature of work, precarious employment, and, uh, and mounting debts, both public and private. Mm-hmm. And so my colleague at UBC has uh, completed a socioeconomic economic analysis describing this multifaceted squeeze. And we're now trying to take that analysis and advocate for policies municipally, provincially, and federally uh, to help younger Canadians. 
Mm-hmm. And I mean, what has what has been the biggest stressor? What's been the 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 mm-hmm. the, the, the hot pot, the heart, sorry, hot spot um, that has caused all this? And- it's housing, no question. Okay, no question. Across the country, housing it has become this generational tipping point, um, which really is keeping a lot of younger Canadians back from reaching their potential as they struggle to you know reach that normal milestone of adulthood, mm-hmm. finding a secure home either as a renter. Um, or as a first-time home buyer. And there are stats out there that say that uh, kids are staying in their homes longer, and they have been mm-hmm. for a bit. I mean, this is a, as a result of what we're talking about right Absolutely. now. Absolutely, right? into their late 20s, 30s. You know, as younger Canadians are faced with uh, this, this housing crisis in many communities, they turn to their family to help adapt. Yeah. Um, well, they'll, first they'll turn to themselves. You know, we were working harder. Um, incomes for 25 to 34 are stagnant or down across the country, even as housing costs have doubled or tripled in some jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. Um, and where that isn't enough, uh, we turn to family. And so either that's trying to get help with a down payment, not all are lucky enough you know, to, to get that, um, or it's staying at home longer, either into your late 20s or even into your 30s. You know, as you try to cobble together some sort of scenario, uh, you know, to get you into a secure rental or into your first home. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about rental for, for uh, f- to start off here, because this is an area that people often uh, don't consider because, um, you know, here we are, we're, we're in Victoria, it's a lovely home. Uh, so many people own their homes. The assumption or presumption is, well, you know, if, if someone isn't able to own, it's easy enough to find something to rent. That's not necessarily true, Incorrect. is it? Incorrect. Yeah. As you well know, right? Yeah. You know, the vacancy rate in Victoria has been below 1% for a long time, yeah. you know, ranging half a percent up to, you know, a percent. Um, even, even, you might even know, perhaps even lower in some months. Yeah. And, uh, and so it's really hard to find a place. And it's not only that availability of housing, it's the security of it. Mm-hmm. And so one of the consequences of a skyrocketing market is there's a, there's a big incentive for, you know, uh, single landlords to sell their home and perhaps move up island or to the interior. And so a renter who may be living in a, you know, a comfortable place at a rent that was locked in several years ago is now facing this new precarious situation where Mm -hmm. they no longer have a place to live and they have to jump back into the market with everybody else. And they face these escalating rents. Well, well, that is a reality. I mean, we've seen it because the market has changed such recently that uh, landlords are finding, oh, I've got this investment property. Now it's time to sell because, you know, I can cash out right now Mm -hmm. uh, without even considering. I mean, they do consider the tenants. Yeah. But, you know, they're weighing the difference between the cash out and um, the situation of the tenant. I have one just recently, a tenant that um, had lived in the house for 22 years, mm-hmm. right? And the seller decided to sell and, and uh, you know, there we go. That causes another tenant to be in the market to find something that was difficult because, um, you know, with rent increases and everything, the rent that he was paying was very reasonable compared to today's rate. Right. right? It's a huge shock to your household finances. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what has happened to date that has caused us to get here? Because presumably if rentals, because we're still talking about rentals, if rentals are hard to find, um, why haven't there been more rentals put out there in the marketplace? Yeah. And it is a little bit tricky to separate the rental market from the home ownership market. So if you don't mind just kind of zooming out to the sure. housing market. Sure. Sure, sure. And so, you know, and that's where we have had this debate in BC going going back, you know, over a decade now. Um, and this has ha- played out across the country as well. And so the long-term trend that we have been watching is this um, interplay between incomes and costs, in particular housing costs. And so for a younger demographic, incomes are stagnant or, or, or declining, in some cases slightly increasing. But in any case, housing costs have far, you know, have climbed way, way beyond. It. Exactly. Yeah. And in BC, incomes of, or costs have left behind incomes more than any other province. 
And so, you know, we're, we're, we can easily get into debates about the exact cause of this recent escalation, uh, you know, in, in housing in housing costs. Mm -hmm. And it may be impossible to, to, to ever firmly decide the degree to which demand side factors played a role, um, supply side factors played a role, you know, taxation and other policies. And so we're encouraging, you know, that's all very interesting. And, you know, we have our own opinions, but looking forward, you know, what, what can we do to, uh, to make life more affordable in this city, mm -hmm. um, across BC and across Canada. Yeah, got it, got it. We're here on the line uh, in the studio right now with Eric Swanson, who's the executive director with Generation Squeeze, talking about the diff difficulty about getting into the marketplace. Um, let's talk for a quick moment about um, uh, the Fourth Street property, so sure. uh, the True Center. Yep. Um, uh, we actually talked about it on this show here a little while ago. It was a very contentious uh, um, uh, development, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you were there at the public hearing, um, representing Generation Squeeze, and I think it surprised some people that Generation Squeeze supported it. Get, tell us why. Yeah, even the mayor expressed some surprise that we had supported it. We received some correspondence afterwards. And so, you know, it, it's interesting because Generation Squeeze has, since we began working on this issue, advocated for a comprehensive approach. Mm -hmm. We don't think we can build our way out of the problem. We do think we need demand side measures here in town. We and at another public hearing, Tony, that you were at, we were advocating for the foreign buyers tax to be brought to last the year. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. Which it now has. Uh, we've recently just put out a paper advocating for a broader tax shift. So cuts to income taxes and and uh, increased taxes on housing wealth. And that's a that's a long conversation in and of itself. Yeah. Um, and uh, scaling up alternative housing models. So co-ops and community land trust and like. And so we don't think there's one thing we can do to solve this. We need to go at it from all angles. And so the Fort Street property you're referring to, you know, was an example after learning from, you know, the developer and other stakeholders, we believed, um, you know, a well-designed along a major artery, arterial uh, here, here in Victoria, um, a development that provided, uh, I'm trying to recall, 80 um, dozens of homes. I think it was 80, 83. 83, that's right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the price point of those, you know, I'm not exactly sure what they're being marketed as now. Um, but it did come with this pairing of 10 affordable units at a separate development down the street, yeah. uh, a promise to do that. Um, and so we supported it because, you know, we can get a, a bit more affordable rental online due to that pairing. We do need supply of all types. So long as they're occupied as principal residences, supply of all types will bring down costs across the system. Hmm. Um, and so we don't think there's, we don't think there's easy answers or easy camps that you can fall into. And, uh, and uh, perhaps where some of the surprise was coming from, uh, you know, had to do with that. But we, we do need a comprehensive approach, and uh, we feel that particular development will help a little bit. Yeah, well, because part of it, as you said, was, I mean, that that development there is going to be higher-end mm -hmm. uh, condos and townhouses in Rockland. So the big question was, well, how, how does this help affordability locally in any way? Yeah. But as you mentioned, um, uh, another, another part of the development was that the developer was also going to uh, create some... Um, some rental property uh, exactly. nearby as well too so that that was that was part of the part of the plan right and and also you know there are indirect effects right there was another speaker at the public hearing who's from rockland you know a few blocks away living in a very large single detached house um saying something to the effect of i might want to live in one of these units as a downsizing unit um, and if I'm able to free up my existing house, it could be, it could be developed into eight, you know, as much as eight rental units yeah. to add back to the mix. And so there are, you know, there are, it's easy to oversimplify things. Um, but, but to the extent that these units are occupied as principal residences, it will help. Yeah. You know, the fact is we need more, 
we need more creative ideas for this situation here. I mean, we've talked yeah. on this show many times before about the fact that we are geographically bound. Like, we're surrounded by water. We've got uh, the Malahad on the north side. Uh, this town is growing by, I think it's 3,000 uh, net um, uh, migration people every year. We need more places to put them, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and and uh, these these are things. I mean, the, the story of, uh, of a Rockland, a large Rockland home that could be redeveloped. I mean, uh, we need to see more of those, right? Oh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, we need to diversify. Yeah. You know, um, it's not fair, you know, that young people trying to make it in this town, you know, are left with a choice between a downtown condo that may not be suitable for the family they aspire to have or already have, mm -hmm. you know, and a West Shore commute. Or another town. Or another town altogether, yeah. right? Uh, uh, Eric, so, so we need more of those options. If people, actually, people should look at your website. It's a great site. And it's not just for the young, because you got a section that's, that's right. 50 and over, I notice as well. Um, what's the website? How can people find you? Yeah, people can find us at gensqueeze.ca. Yeah, and is there an office phone number? Um, or the website best? The website is the best. Okay. Very good. Uh, we're having a conversation about affordability here in the capital region. We were with Eric Swanson from Generation Squeeze. Stay right there, Eric, because we're going to have you back in a few minutes. Uh, but we will take a break, uh, and we'll be joined in a moment by Talk to Arise. Back in a moment. Now, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Hi there, thanks for coming back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Our show is brought to you every week in part by Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Services Modern Mortgage Group, Lori Zorn, insurance manager for Island Savings, and home inspector Carrie Smith from Inspectech. If you need an opinion on uh, mortgages, building inspections, and home insurance, be uh, sure to contact Lori, Denise, or Carrie. They're great people to talk to. We're chatting today about affordability here in Greater Victoria. And in the studio right now, uh, we have with us Luke Mari. Luke is with Talk to Arise. Luke, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Great. Uh, tell us about, okay, so Arise is a development, a development company. Yes. Right? Uh, however, you guys are doing things a little differently. Tell the listeners what, what you guys are doing and what your approach is. Yeah, so Arise is uh, an infill development company uh, based out of Victoria, BC. And what we are noticing is that uh, development traditionally is you have a proposal, you meet with the community, you talk about the proposal. And the whole setup leads to, uh, it, by nature, has a little bit of adversary to it because it's change, and change <laughs> is scary, and we need to acknowledge that. But yeah. so what we... I, I, I laugh with the word little, because sometimes it can be a lot of ad adversarial. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. Um, so we, we thought, let's that's, that's start a community engagement website that is disconnected from our projects that talks about uh, what do we aspire in our city. And, and the reason for that was... Um, you know, there, there's differing opinions on how the city should unfold. But what we're noticing is that, uh, um, you know, uh, groups that have a, a difference of opinion on, on, on densification and change tend to, to use fear uh, as, as a primary motivator to get people to, to, to join the ranks and, and oppose something. And so what we're trying to do is introduce a, a conversation that is based on what does our future city look like and how do we aspire to get there? What are the principles around that? Yeah, your website is fantastic. I mean, you're, you've you've compiled a list of uh, upcoming developments and and uh, and things like that. And these are developments that are not your own. And again, you you are a developer, and and uh, you're you're just um, you're putting out there what's happening in the city and what what is coming up, right? Uh, apologies, Tony. The, the the list of the projects on the website are our own projects. Okay. And what, and, and what they are is is uh, uh, is the reflection of the principles and and is showing that. Uh, it's the why we're doing what we're doing. Got it. But they're not associated with marketing and sales. It's information only. Yeah. Oh, that's what I got from it as well. And and there's there's rental. There's I noticed there's uh, uh, not only uh, real estate for um, 
um, for ownership, but there's rental properties there too, right? Yeah, our kind of internal goal right now is we are currently delivering two market rental units for every townhouse that we sell. Wow. And and at this point in time, about half of those rental units are below market. So we're partnering with the CRD and BC Housing on those projects. Mm-hmm. So you guys are really working uh, really working on this. What, what is the background? Where did this come from? Uh, yeah, so we're we're largely a millennial owned and run development company, so we're feeling the squeeze ourselves. Um, and we we own a coffee shop in Fairfield as well, and we we have a lot of young families that come through there. And on more than one occasion, we'll be brainstorming about our projects, and someone will interrupt us and say, "This is our life." In that we moved here, we have good jobs, we live in a downtown condo, and we wanna we wanna have a family, and there's no supply for us in the city. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it hit us as you know we're we're parents as well. We have kids, we have families, and um, it's it's not a fair and equitable distribution of land when people who grew up in the city and then want to have a family, and the city doesn't have a place for them anymore. And so what we're trying to introduce is family-oriented infill housing to the city. Mm-hmm. In specific neighborhoods, too. I mean, you're talking about Fairfield. And we talked about that with Eric just a couple of moments ago as well, too. It's, it's uh, uh, to be faced with having to go outside of your, your, your comfort area uh, just based on affordability combined with uh, transit as well, too. I mean, that's a whole other factor, right? Totally. Uh, so, I mean, the word affordable is a bit of a lightning rod. Um, and so, you know, the word attainable, or it, it, it differs per person. But at the end of the day, um, these neighborhoods, they rep- like the single family zone kind of represent, it represents 70% of our land base, but it's only accommodating 15% of our growth. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, downtown or, or, or urban areas like downtown represent around 30% of our land base and are, that are accommodating 85% of our growth. And so it's just, it's a distribution of land. And the challenge is, is that the, the fish community plan designates condos and townhouses or f- market feasible townhouses in the same zone. So when you're, you're going to purchase this land, you're, you're paying for it at a condo price. And now you're supposed to introduce a lower typology, a lower density at an affordable rate. The numbers it, don't work. It doesn't work. And yeah. so that's why we need to look beyond our city's uh, urban boundaries into these traditional neighborhoods for, for uh, like soft infill in, in, in housing forms like townhouses. Can you give us some examples of some of those neighborhoods? Well, you know, the most compact walkable ones tend to be the ones best suited for this densification. That would be neighborhoods like Fairfield, James Bay, uh, Gonzales, uh, Oaklands, North Park, mm-hmm. uh, Quadra Village, all, all great candidates. Um Burnside Gorge is also changing. Uh, so it's largely the, what I've rattled off for you is all the neighborhoods surrounding the downtown. Yeah. Yeah, everything walkable. We're here uh, in the studio with Luke Murray. He's with Talk to Arise. We're talking about uh, Victoria and, and development. What, in your guys' eyes, what is, what is Victoria going to look like in the near future? The, the perfect Victoria. Um, well, I mean, if you I check I think out- I'll ask that question of Eric later oh, as well, sure, too, yeah, when we yeah. get him back, yeah. But I, I think, I mean, our website has it. It's, it's, a, it's a city where we can afford to raise our kids. Yeah. It's a city where we celebrate diversity and inclusion in our neighborhoods. Um, you know, the, the question that I think we should be asking ourselves is, is um, why is there this kind of de facto moratorium on development in 70% of our land in the city? Mm. Yeah. Well, and this is something that has come up uh, um, over the years. I mean, first of all, there was... There is no uh, purpose-built rental buildings in the city of Victoria for about, I think it's 20 years. And um, it's, it's like we're, pay- we're playing catch-up right now in the, uh, the region here um, on things that maybe should have been happening uh, in, in the past. Um, there's also a conversation about that whole missing middle. I mean, you and I talked about that over the telephone uh, a little bit. 
Uh, is this this is a uh, a sort of market segment that you guys feel is uh, uh, is where the um, uh, the best possibilities are, Luke? Yeah, I mean. Let's just look at two articles that were in the Times calling us recently. One being the explosive growth of, of requirements for schools in, in the West Shore. Yeah. Um, and then the other is the single-family benchmark price is at an all-time high. Mm-hmm. Now, we have done our own kind of statistical analysis and GIS analysis on, and, and what we found is a direct correlation between the availability of three- and four-bedroom units and commute times. Yeah. Once again, we don't feel it's a fair trade to, to a, a, a young couple in the city that wants to start a family saying, you got to leave Victoria to start your family. The second part to that equation is that single-family housing represents the land base for future development opportunities, and single-family home prices are outpacing uh, townhouses and condo appreciation, which means every year that goes by to do a condo or townhouse gets harder and harder and harder because you have to make up that additional density each year. And what that represents is there's a net cost to not densifying our city. Yeah. So when we look to the future, if we don't get on this, then it's just going to get harder and harder and harder. And it's not very hard to look at our hour-and-a-half ferry ride across the water to see in, in both directions, Seattle and Vancouver, uh, of what the future of Victoria could look like in terms of affordability. Yeah, Actually, this is a really important point that i I, I got to say I've never really thought about before, and that's the timeliness of everything and how getting on uh, development um, now, as opposed to waiting, you know, there's there's always that whole, oh, you know, we don't need to deal with it now. Let's let's put this off another year or two years. You know, what's the ultimate cost to the uh, to the region when that happens, right? Yeah, well, the ultimate cost is that the commute times get longer, uh, labor productivity goes down, um, and affordability continues to be an issue. So, what we're advocating for is is this is not an attack on the single family homeowner. This is not an attack on their neighborhoods. But at the same time, the, the, the twist to this is that lots of the ingredients that make up these neighborhoods form during times when there's quite low zoning regulations, which is how you get these little community uh, commercial uh, shops. You have three-story walk-up apartments that are 100% uh, site coverage, zero parking in the middle of these neighborhoods. And people look to them and say, wow, look at, look at that great building. But you try and replicate that condition today and whoa, 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 no, hands off my neighborhood. And look at the signs going up around town. Respect our neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, and the challenge that I think we have as a young development company is we want to respect neighborhoods. What we're trying to do is introduce densification that supports the vitality of neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's, there's a demographic change happening. There's neighborhoods in town that have uh, declining school enrollment, declining uh, uh, population of, of children under 15. And it's not hard to look at the correlation between housing and that there hasn't been any townhouses introduced in some of these neighborhoods in like, you know, five, six, seven years or more. Interesting. Uh, Luke, if people need to reach you uh, at Talk to Arise, how can they do that? Well, the website's best is, is talktoarise.ca. We should spell Arise. And Arise is A-R-Y-Z-E. Um, and you can also email us at uh, talk at talktoarise.ca. Yeah, so I'll post the uh, the links uh, to both uh, Arise and also Generation Squeeze on our uh, CFAX uh, website here. But we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll have a conversation with both Eric and Luke. Back in just a moment. This is The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. 
Hi there. Thanks for coming back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. We're talking today about Greater Victoria, where we've gone as far as affordability is concerned, and where we hope to go. In the studio right now is Eric Swanson, Executive Director with Generation Squeeze, and Luke Mari, uh, who is with Talk to Arise. Um, uh, Eric, you've been here listening to the conversation I've had with uh, with Luke here. We were talking about um, uh, timeliness mm-hmm. and uh, getting... Uh, developments uh, and and densification happening sooner rather than later. Um, tell us your angle on that. Well, I like the theme of timeliness because I think the conversation that Talk to Rise is trying to have, you know, is one of the most timely components. Uh, one of the things we need to start doing is to move away from. Uh, Luke was referring to a bit more of a fear-based conversation towards an opportunity-based conversation. You know, we continue to advocate for bold action on the range of levers, demand, supply, and taxation. Some of those will be more controversial, some of them less. But there is the potential for Victoria as we continue to build our tech sector and other sectors to become a shining example of inclusive, beautiful, more affordable urbanism. And uh, so (laughs) we need to start talking about how to make that happen. Um, involving the neighborhoods, involving people who live there, and involving people who would like to live there but currently can't. And so there's a the timely the timely piece of this is is starting that conversation. And I, uh, you know, we've been inspired by the work that Talk to Rise is trying to do to open that conversation up. And it was a very interesting point too, just the timeliness of of building more of this missing middle, missing middle housing as the single detached home prices start to you know run away from. Uh, uh, you know, condo prices. And so, you know, there, there is a bit of a clock here. We'd say the clock's been ticking for, you know, like 10 years, you know, more. If not longer. If yeah. not longer, right? So yeah. we need to get on this um, and we need to approach it from a positive perspective. Well, and, you know, it's interesting talking about the timeline because I, I had uh, in here, it was last year anyways, Bev Heighton, who's been a realtor for 50 some odd years. He brought an article from a local magazine in Victoria dated 1967. And the story was exactly the same. Just the numbers were different. Oh, that's fascinating. You, you replace the price, you know, with today's current pricing. The struggles were similar, you know, the um, employment uh, situation, the transit situation, and all of these things. And every once in a while, it it, it, it brings up the question, well, how, how come we haven't figured this out? Mm-hmm. You know, that was that was 50 years ago. And even when I started in real estate 27 years ago, I mean, Carrie was talking about um, uh, suites and homes. They're not they're not new. Like people have had to have suites and homes in order to uh, afford them. And, you know, that was way back then when houses were one hundred and forty thousand dollars. Right. Um, here we are right now. It, it's even for me in the business. It's amazing to think about houses that are nine hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Because sure. Um, people buy them. Um, it takes a lot to get there. You know, um, what do you got to do to scrimp and save for um, a down payment on a $900,000 house, right? Yeah, that's right. You know, like our own analysis shows that in 1976, so going back, you know, over 40 years now, it took an average of five years of average full-time work to save a down payment on an average home across Canada. You know, today in Victoria, that it's 16 years yeah. uh, to save that same 20% down payment. Yeah, so hard work isn't paying off like it used to. Yeah, it's a very, very long time. Yeah. Um, Luke, about uh, communities. Because we uh, we also chatted on the phone a little bit about community area, like community centers, and um, uh, Victoria is a nifty enough town. We've got little villages. We've got um, uh, all the areas that you were talking about. You know, you're talking about Oakland's, for instance, um, uh, James Bay, Fairfield. Uh, there's such a great feel to 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 these community centers, but that also has caused them to be a little pricey as well too, because the demand, right? Yeah, like. Uh 
you know, this, this might not be received well, but like we have good problems. We're growing. We're a highly desirable, beautiful place to live. These are this, like how blessed are we to be able to call Victoria our home? But at the same time, a lot of these neighbors, neighborhoods used to be working class neighborhoods that have like James now, Bay, for instance, James Bay, Gonzalez, yeah. like they, they, they started off as like either vacation cabins turned into working class neighborhoods. And, and only in, in recent years, they've turned into these kind of more, more exclusive, wealthier enclaves. And, 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 and great for the people that were able to buy homes and live in these neighborhoods. But as our city continues to grow and we bump up against our municipal limits and the ocean, uh, we need to look to these neighborhoods for increasing some more family-oriented housing supply. Mm-hmm. Uh, wh- wh- where, are the, where are the areas of opportunity right now that you see that, that maybe aren't being addressed right now? Well, I, I think everyone's curious to see how this, this rental-only zoning will affect um, the city. Um, for for us, it, it, for our business model, we're, we're, we're thrilled that there's developers working on, on downtown condos. We think uh, a spectrum of housing is what we need, ranging from suites to even to the high-end units. Um, I love the analogy of, uh, you know, does a pool fill up faster if you pour water in the deep or the shallow end? And that is, <laughs> yeah. it, it's a holistic view we need to take. Our business model is focused on what we know, which is urban townhouses for young families. And the opportunity is, is our, our focus is, is, is the core Victoria neighborhoods because um, yeah. they're highly compact, they're walkable, they have great amenities, um, areas where you can go to the gym, go to the coffee shop, drop your kids off at school, go for a swim in the ocean or a paddleboard, pick your kids up from school, go to a pub, all in the same day without touching a car. I mean, it's a beautiful lifestyle that we have, and we're just advocating to share that lifestyle by sharing the neighborhood. Yeah. I, I think it's possible sometimes people still think of Victoria as the sleepy little town because we don't need to go far. You go to places like Vancouver and Yaletown, for instance, where there is all that, you know, where um, uh, there are schools nearby. People walk their kids to school and they're shopping. Uh, everything's just outside their front door, right? Yeah, I, I th- think the challenge is, is that as a society, we agree on a macro level something needs to be done. And we want lower greenhouse gas emissions. We want successful retail. We want good schools. We want affordable housing. We want good transit. But at the same time, we want everything to stay the same as it relates to density, <laughs> height, yeah. and fit. Yeah. And so there's this naturally opposing uh, uh, argument happening. And we just need to change that discourse into how can good densification support and strengthen these neighborhoods as the residents who got in there age. Because, I mean, what's the plan for an aging resident? Is it to drive three hours to visit your grandchildren in Nanaimo? Yeah. Like, is that the goal? Yeah. Or is the goal to have your kids nearby. Near, live, near, uh, live nearby? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um, Eric, when it comes to the, uh, you know, again, talking about the difficulty about uh, obtaining uh, housing here, transit is something that we've talked about a couple of times mm-hmm. uh, as well, because, um, you know, Victoria has become much more of that sort of walkable community. It's neat to see that we have all these residences in downtown Victoria now, because we didn't before. Yeah. Like even um, maybe 15 years ago, uh, we didn't have the, the number of, of downtown dwellers that we have now. Um, what are what are when we're talking affordability and attainability? Mm-hmm. I mean, those are numbers that are always changing. That's right. Right. So, I mean, and people struggle with this. Yeah. Um, traditionally, across Canada, we'll start with a threshold of thirty percent 
of income of spent on housing costs. Yeah, we've like, long been past that here, right? Right, and yeah. exactly. Lately, that that threshold has been modernized by rolling in transportation costs, yeah. and it's being a method used in the states quite a bit. It's been discussed here in BC um, of forty five percent combining. You don't want to have to spend more than forty five percent of your income on housing plus transportation combined. And so the two really do go hand in hand. And as we're talking about, you know, building more urban townhouses, you know, in, in these, these neighborhoods surrounding the urban core, um, the parking conversation is central to that as well, right? As soon as you start building, you know, homes for cars, you're making it more expensive to build those homes for people. Yeah. And so there's a transportation policy conversation here too, where we need to decide, um, you know, which is the priority and to what extent we're okay incentivizing a lifestyle uh, less reliant on cars. Yeah. Um, so there's that as well. We had a great conversation here uh, a few months ago with Todd uh, Lippman. Mm, I uh, bet you did, yeah. And, uh, and just talking about how uh, eliminating that car has the uh, potential of um, either saving or um, uh, costing somebody like a million dollars over time, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The cost of maintenance, the cost of ownership, the cost, the opportunity loss, um, you know, relative to home ownership, right? Yeah. Uh, Luke. Yeah, I, I, it's a, it's a great discussion point, and I just find it interesting that as a developer, we can provide, we can choose to give no AC, no fireplace, or no balcony in a residential <laughs> unit, uh-huh. but we can't extend that same consumer choice to a parking stall. So whether that person drives or not, they're still paying for it. And the average two-bedroom unit, say at 150, 150 100, or 850 square feet, apologies, uh, underground has a has 500 square feet of oh. underground space when you factor in. Mm-hmm. Uh, turning radiuses, circulation space, ramps, and their and their 1.5 parking stalls. So, we we need to decouple the two from each other. And you can look to places like Seattle or Portland that haven't had parking regulations since the 80s. Yeah, and and uh, and walkable cities, right? Highly walkable cities, and we and we look to them for inspiration, but we're not necessarily, you know, kind of a willing to to double down and, 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 and put in some of the policies that they've reflected for many, many years. You know, my sense is I think we're, we're getting a little better at that because I remember when the Mosaic came up in 1998 or whatever it was, the government building on Fort Street, and there was no parking, and they were microsuites. So they're among the first microsuites in Victoria, and people were just up in arms. What do you mean there's no parking? Like, there is just no parking on that site. And yet that has been a very successful development, and uh, units have changed hands over the years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and just going back to your broader question about affordability as well, and if I could just tie, you know, five minutes ago, you're bringing up that article from the 60s, like uh, dealing with these same sorts of, you know, escalating costs versus incomes. There's something structural going on as well. And so when we talk about affordability and transportation and, you know, being more, more okay with less parking, um, we also need to be, you know, having a larger principle-based discussion. And I think the Talk to Arise website does a good job of laying out some basic principles upon which we can start to develop specific policies, you know, which could include, from you know, our perspective, you know, treating housing as primarily a place to live and, and se- only secondarily as a place to earn an investment return. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, um, you know, affordability has to come with a sense of, you know, the primary purpose of the housing market, you know, being for what, and we would advocate being for homes. And so, you know, tying in, you know, parking and, and supply and, and demand and taxation measures, um, you know, to start to change, to, to adjust the dials and those long-term structural problems, which have kept us in this, in this race. Mm-hmm. And Luke, same, uh, same thoughts? Definitely. Uh, that's been our approach is a more holistic view to housing, uh, a range of housing types, tenures, and typologies. 
um, because, you know, we recently had a booth at the Cook Street block party. We talked to over 600 people. Uh, we had uh, over we had 300 emails go through our, our, our website to mayor and council advocating for more densification. Yeah. But one thing that I did not hear was a millennial crying entitlement to a single family home. They just wanted something, yeah. something to stay in the city. And I think uh, previous generations uh, grew up with, uh, you know, kind of the, we, we've heard of the white picket fence, the Cadillac in the driveway, single family home um, uh, ideology, which is great. Our generation grew up watching TV shows like Friends, and it's you live in a, you, you sleep in an apartment, apartment, but you socialize yeah. in the city. Yeah. And so the we coffee just, shop. Yeah, we yeah. don't have the same uh, drivers or entitlement to this to this housing form. But at the same time, if you look on the MLS, I think there's like four or five true townhouses in the city of Victoria for sale right now. And that's just not enough. This is such a great conversation to have. I'm glad you guys have, have come. Um, Luke, if people need to reach you again. Uh, talk at talktoarise.ca. And spell arise. Uh, A-R-Y-Z-E. Great. Uh, and also, um, Eric Swanson from Generation Squeeze. People need to reach you. GenSqueeze.ca. Yeah, and lots of great facts and figures on the website um, uh, and things that, uh, that will give a great insight. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Tony. Yeah, great. Thanks for joining us. And for the rest of our listeners, uh, we'll be here for you this time next week.